Do you know if we're going the right way here? I don't know. I think we missed the mechanic shop. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going the right way. Really? No. <sighs> All right, I'm going to turn around right here. Wait a second here. My worship light just turned on. What does that mean? You know what that means? Um, I'm not sure. <sighs> oh my God. First the community light, and now the worship light. I mean, <sighs> man. It's okay. What are we going to do? It's okay. Just, just calm down. We'll figure it out together. Don't worry. All right. <sighs> man. And I, I'm gonna pull over. Okay, let okay. me pull over. Okay. Okay. Oh my, my phone's dead. There's somebody. Hey, I think there's somebody running right there. Let's get them. Okay. Hey, 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 you. Hey, hey you. You think you can help me out? What's wrong? My worship light just turned on, and we're on the way to the mechanic, and my phone died, and I really can I borrow your phone? I don't have a phone, but I what? know a really good mechanic. He's really? close by here. Can you? Can you take us? We don't really know our way around here. Sure. You can, you can get in the back. Let me get the door for you. That's really nice of you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Hey, man, look who I found. She's going to take us to the mechanic to get my worship light turned off. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's great. This is my friend. Wait, I never got your name. What's your name? You know what? Forget that. Your name's going to be Community because you helped turn off my community light. Okay. Okay. You know, all right, you know the way to do the mechanic? Yeah, just make a left up here. Okay. Hey guys, you know what'll help us all feel better? What? what? Singing some good worship songs. Really? I've never tried that before. Do you know any? I know one. Yeah? Yeah. Which one? Build your kingdom no, no. here. Wrong series, no. bro. Oops. Did it again. Oh, wow. Look at that. My worship light just turned off. What a coincidence. Hey, do you think you can still come with us to the mechanic shop? Just to, see, just to check it out and make sure everything's okay? Sure, why not? Okay, let's keep going to the mechanic. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the third week in the body shop. And if you're just kind of joining us here for the first time, what we're taking a look at is that the most important organism in the universe, which is the body of Christ, and what we're seeing every single week with the help of our lovely actors and actresses right there just up on the screen, is what does it take to be healthy members of the body of Christ? And every week we're looking at a different, what I call the pillars of health, of a, of a member of the body of Christ. And last week we started off by talking about the first component to be a healthy member of the body of Christ. If you look back in the book of Acts chapter 2, we saw a picture of a healthy church and healthy church members. And it was clear that community and fellowship was an integral part of their life. And we talked about last week how God made us not just to, to, to live amongst each other, but to really live life together and to share life. And we talked about that last week. This week we're going to talk about the second pillar, or the second component, which as you saw right there, is the worship component. Before we get into that though, let's take a look back at the most important verse that's kind of guiding us through this series, which is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, where St. Paul says, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. As I start up here talking about what does it take to be a healthy member of the church, I hope you realize that it is your greatest honor to be a member 
of the church because the church is not a human organization. The church is not an organization even at all. You hear me keep using the word organism versus organization. Why? What's an organism? An organism is alive. And the church is alive. The church is a body. The church has a head who is our Lord Jesus Christ and has a body who is me and you. And the fact that he allows us to be part of this body is the greatest honor in the whole wide world. And the same way that you cannot have me as a person, you can't say my head is working but my body is not working. Like if my head is alive and my, my, my body is disconnected, then the whole thing is broken. And the same thing with the church. The church is God on earth. The church is God on earth because it is the fullness of him who fills all in all. And what I say is that I'm not going to say you cannot know God outside of the church. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is you cannot know the fullness of God outside the church. And yes, you can know God, but you cannot know the fullness of what God has for you outside of his body because that was his plan from the very, very, very start. What we're going to see today, if the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all, we want to see where does that fullness exist? Where is the source of that fullness? And I want to see how I can tap into that fullness and receive that fullness in my day-to-day -day life. On Monday morning when my boss is coming at me. On Friday night when my friends are tempting me. How can I tap into that fullness of God on a practical level, on a day-to-day -day level? Touched on it a little bit last week, but we'll get much more in depth into it this week. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 tells us that now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Last week... I finished off by, by trying to hopefully change your view on what does it mean to be part of the church. And we agreed last week that as members of the church, we are not individual members. We are part of a whole, and it's that whole that gives value to the individual members. And if you remember last week, I brought a piece of the bread that we used during uh, the liturgy, during communion. I brought a piece of that bread. And when we have that bread, that bread becomes the body of Christ. Okay, that bread is the body of Christ. But that bread comes from where? It comes from a little piece of wheat over here, a little piece of wheat over there, a little piece of wheat over there that come together, and together they are transformed into the body of Christ. And then after they are transformed, those little individual, we wouldn't say the wheat is transformed individually. We'd say the one bread is transformed. And then after that one bread is transformed, what happens? It now disperses again into a million different directions. It's broken into a million different little pieces, and it goes off and the body of Christ goes all over the place. Well, that same concept, the same way of thinking, is what we should think of as at all times as a member of the church. Individual members come together, something happens, and then they go off different than they came. Individual pieces of wheat come together, something happens, they go off not as pieces of wheat anymore. Individual members come from, from Rockville and from Arlington and from Baltimore and from South Riding and from Fairfax and from wherever it is that you're from. Come together, something happens, and then each one goes off in a different direction, different than they came. I say it this way. God gives power to the church. The church gives power to its members. God gives power to the church. The church gives power to its members. Think of the church as a tree. And each one of us is a branch. Our power, our connection to God is through the stem. Like the branch is not powerful in and of itself, but when connected to the stem and the roots, then that branch has all kinds of power and nutrients and stuff inside of it. 
Well, we as members of the body of Christ are the same way. We come from different directions. We unite ourselves together, and we'll talk about what that unity is together in a second. We unite, something happens here, and then we go off in a completely, all kinds of different directions, different than we came. Jesus said this way in Matthew 16, speaking about the church. He says, I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And now he gives a description of my church. He says, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. He doesn't say that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against you, shall not prevail against my church. Important difference. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now he's speaking to the church, okay? I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is why what I'm saying is the church is not a normal organization. Church is not a group of people who get together and sing songs and pray because it's nice. The church has the power over the gates of Hades inside it. I don't even know what that means. The church has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Everyone wants heaven. The church has the key to it. The church has the power to bind stuff and to loose stuff that will be in eternity bound and loosed. This great power, this great power is too much for any one person. Would you agree? It's too much for any one person. This load of carrying the kingdom of heaven is too much for any individual person to carry. Would you agree with that? So what God does is he doesn't ask any individual to carry it. He asks the church to carry it, and he asks us to plug into the church. Think of an easy example. Think of electricity. Along these walls here, here, outlets all over the walls. All right, we love outlets. You walk into a store or a restaurant, you see everyone plugging their phones in outlets. Outlets, outlets. We like outlets. What's an outlet? An outlet is you have a power line, Okay, and inside that power line is a whole bunch of electricity. How much electricity is in that power line? Yeah, let's say a lot. Okay, my, my only standard electricity is 1.21 gigawatts. Okay, which is from Back to the Future. If you remember, that's how much it took. 1.21 gigawatts, 1.21 gigawatts. So let's say in that power, okay, power line, there's 1.21 gigawatts, which if you remember the movie, can send you 40 years forward or backward in time. But in the outlet, there's not 1.21 gigawatts. If you stick your finger in the outlet, it'll shock you a little bit. But if you stick your finger in the 1.21 gigawatts, watch out. You, you, that's not going to be a, a good situation. That's the way the church is. The church is the power line. And then we, as the individual members, when we connect to that power line, we ourselves have power. But our power is not in and of ourselves. Our power is not because of anything to us. Our power is because we're connected to the 1.21 gigawatts, which is the church. So here was a sentence I said earlier. God gives power to the church. The church gives power to its members. Everyone with me on that so far? Here's our topic for today. The methodology or the mechanism which is used to distribute this power is called liturgy. God gives power to the church, and the church gives power to its members. And the means by which this power is distributed is called liturgy. The word liturgy has a meaning to us today which is different, sort of, than its original meaning that it started with. You know how, like, like, like for example, like a Kleenex, okay? The word Kleenex has changed through time to mean something that it isn't really, all right? Or Xerox or things like that. Liturgy is the same way, that we now associate a certain act on Sunday mornings from 9 to 11 here before anyone comes, all right? From 9 to 11, we call that 
the liturgy, and we capitalize it. But the word liturgy doesn't really mean anything sacred. We use it to refer to the divine liturgy, but you'll see in a second. The word liturgy comes from two Greek words, okay? And you see it there on your handout. It comes from the Greek, it's, two, it's the word liturgeia, liturgeia, which comes from the Greek word laos, okay, or lit, which means people, and ergon, which means work. So liturgeia, or liturgy, literally means the work of the people. It means people coming together to do something together. That's why for us, when we talk about the divine liturgy or the liturgy of the Eucharist, that is people coming together to celebrate the Eucharist. But we also in our church, like when we have a baptism, we call that a liturgy as well, the baptismal liturgy. It's people coming together to do a work, which is baptism. A funeral is a liturgy. Anytime you have a group of people gathering together to do something, that's what called, that's what the word liturgy is all about. Last week, we talked about how God wants us to live together. Today, we see he doesn't want us just to live together, hang out together, go bowling together, do fun stuff together. He wants us to pray together. And he wants us to unite in true liturgy. And we'll see what that means. To show you how much God wants it, look at this verse. This might be the best promise in all of the Bible. And Jesus talked about liturgy prayer when he said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. This might be the best promise in all the Bible. Where two or three gather together in my name. Notice he didn't say in an individual sense. He didn't say if you stand up to pray at home, I will be there. And with the, I'm, not, I'm not saying that individual prayer is bad, okay? But it's different. He didn't say about individual prayer that I guarantee you I'll be there. But he did say it about group prayer right here. And let's think about this logically. Let's think about this experientially. Our experience tells us that the times where we feel God's presence the most, we know that God is always present everywhere, but the times when we feel his presence the most, I bet you nine out of ten times you're going to say that happened in a group context. Would you agree with that? Either it was during a church service or it was at a retreat. Or it was a time where a group of us got together and we had it out and we prayed together. The times that you felt the presence of God the most, I bet you, came in a group context. Again, I'm not saying that praying on your own isn't just as important as praying together. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it's different. That's why here, if you look at our, our, our list of core values that we have as a church, one of them is about the importance of transformational communal worship. But the one that follows right after that is about the passionate pursuit of God. That we don't stop worshiping after we leave church, but we continue to passionately pursue God through our Bible reading, through our prayer, through our giving, through our service, whatever it may be. The two need to be working together. Because what they are, think of it this way, as a candle, that I have a candle right here. And this candle is nice, it has a little flame like this. But imagine that I bring my candle, and you bring your candle, and you bring your candle. We put all those candles together. You know what we're going to have? I have a blowtorch. The power of group prayer is based on the power of the individual prayer. So if you bring a whole bunch of people together on Sunday morning who never pray Monday through Friday, then their group prayer is going to be pretty worthless because bring a bunch of empty candles is worthless. But when we are people of prayer and we have prayer in the individual candle and we put it together and we bring it, like I said, like the wheat from all the ends of the earth, man, that's the kind of prayer that moves mountains. You never hear about somebody praying individually and moving a mountain. You hear about the people of God praying and moving a mountain. 
You never hear about people individually praying and, and stuff would shake and things would run. But you, when the people of God pray together, that's when stuff happens. Today, I want to break down this word liturgy and try to understand three questions. All right. What is liturgy? And again, what is the meaning of the word liturgy? And we'll talk specifically about the divine liturgy, which we talk about here in the Orthodox Church a lot. What is liturgy? Why liturgy? And how liturgy? What is it? Why do we need it? How do we do it? Let's start with the first one. First one, liturgy is. Fill in the blank. What would you say? Most people would say liturgy is Sunday morning, church. Most people, when they use the word liturgy, like I said, they're referring to the liturgy of the Eucharist. All right? And, and that's fine. Like, uh, that's fine. But let's just understand the word liturgy is much bigger than that. The true word liturgy means a group of people gathering together, as I said. So we can say that when we appear together, we close our eyes and we're singing. Is that liturgy, a form of liturgy? Absolutely, it's a form of liturgy. A group of people work together. When we get together in a life group and we bow our heads and we pray, is that liturgy? Absolutely, that's liturgy. When I bring my family at night, husband, wife, boy, girl, we stand here, we pull out our egg bay, our, our prayer book, and we pray as a family, is that liturgy? Absolutely, that's liturgy. That's liturgy in the truest sense. It's not the liturgy of the Eucharist, obviously, but it is liturgy. And it's that form of prayer, group prayer, that is our definition. Our definition of liturgy is a communal response to God. However it looks, a communal response to God. On Sunday mornings, that communal response is a sacramental gathering around the table, remembering, as our Lord told us, commanded us to remember, do this in remembrance of Him, is a remembrance of his, the mystical supper, the last supper. That's our liturgy on Sunday morning. After that, we may have liturgy, like I said, in a myriad of ways. It's a group of people responding to God through prayer, through praise, through thanksgiving, through repentance, through a group of people closing the lights and spending time in repentance. That's all liturgy in the truest sense of what it means. In fact, when our Lord Jesus Christ said, whenever two or three gather in my name, there I'm in there in their midst. He wasn't talking about gathering in church. You know how we know that? Because there was no church. There was no church. He wasn't saying when two or three people go to a building, I'm there in their midst. He wasn't talking about a building. He's talking about a gathering. That's what I'm saying. Is that gathering, that's any time me and you, we get together and we respond to God's presence. Always starts with him. We respond to God. That is the truest sense of what liturgy means. So does that mean, does that mean that any time we gather together and we pray, and any time we gather together as a church, and any time we gather together to sing, does that mean any time we do that, the power of God will always be there, and will always God will be in our midst? Always? Every time? Not exactly. And again, this, again, this fits experience. Like, always, when you see something up here, you question and say, is that true or not true? And my experience tells me, Father Anthony, as great as the words that you're saying, my experience tells me there's many times I come to a church and I feel it's dead. And many times that we stand to sing, and I'm, my mind is, and many times I don't feel the power of God, I don't feel the presence of God at all. And I would say to you, that is correct. 100% correct. Because if you look at, especially like the writings of the people from the first, second, third, fourth century, they speak about a concept called good liturgy versus bad liturgy. Maybe you've never heard that word before, and that sounds kind of like, 
good liturgy and bad liturgy. What is the difference between good liturgy, we come together, presence of God, power of God, spirit of God is moving, versus bad liturgy, we're just staring at a wall talking to ourselves. What's the difference? One thing. True liturgy, good liturgy, requires one heart. Or the biblical expression you see in the book of Acts all the time is one accord. Someone says, come to, the, come to the divine liturgy on Sunday morning. It's heaven on earth. You walk in and say, man, if that's heaven, I don't want to have nothing to do with it. You say, why, why is heaven so dirty? Why is heaven so disorganized? Why are so many kids screaming in heaven? Why can't that boy sit down if it's in heaven? You say, this is what heaven is? And I tell you, you know what? It is not heaven for you because you are not in one heart and one accord. And yeah, easily you, you thought I was going to say they're doing a bad job and they're not in one heart. No, I'm saying that they could be in heaven and you could be completely out of it because you are not in the same spirit and the same one heart and the one accord. You know like I know that being next to somebody doesn't mean that you have a oneness together, a one heart or a one accord. You can be hundreds of miles apart and be like this. You'll be standing right next to with someone. You'll be living in the same house with a person and be miles and miles apart in here, in spirit. Y'all agree? Well, same thing is true when it comes to worshiping God and praying. That our power doesn't come from standing in the same room together. Our power comes when we are united in one heart, in one purpose, in one spirit. And when we pray together, it's not just me praying and you listening. That it's all of us praying together. And when we sing together, it's not just someone singing and me daydreaming. It's all of us singing together. And when there's that one spirit, and there's that one heart, one accord, Man, that's the stuff the mountains, like I said, mountains will move. From the Bible, book of Acts, very clear. I can only fit three verses up on the screen. I can put a hundred of them. Acts 1.14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Acts 2.1, the day of Pentecost. They, the Holy Spirit came down, most powerful day in the history of the world. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And last, Acts 4.24. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God, with one accord. How come I come to liturgical prayer? I come to the liturgy of the Eucharist and I don't feel power? Because you're not in one accord. You're not in one heart. And yes, it's easy for you to blame everybody else. That they're not in one heart with me. But that, that's, that's a cop out. So I'm not blaming everybody. I'm blaming myself. And you're blaming yourself. Because here we are in, in the liturgy. Like for example, the liturgy of the Eucharist. There's a, there's a peace. We pray for the peace of the world. And you're not praying for the peace of the world. We pray for the safety of the travelers. We pray for the hierarchy of the church. We pray for the poor. We pray for the, the strangers, the orphans, the widows. If you are not praying for those things, you will have no power in the liturgy. So don't tell me that it's the liturgy that doesn't have power. I say you're the one who disconnected from the power line. So yes, the outlet is dead. We come together. You say, let's say you, we have like a prayer meeting together. All right, we do this every so often in church. We say we can get together and have a prayer. One of the things that I, I believe in for prayer meetings, it's very important for me personally because I'm not good at prayer naturally. Some people are good. They can just pray on the spot. I can't. I need to know what's the theme of our prayer. I like to have prayer with a theme. Tonight we're going to get together and we are going to pray fill in the blank. Tonight we're going to focus on repentance. We're going to pray prayers of repentance. And it's all repentance, repentance, repentance. 
Tonight we're going to get together and we're going to celebrate the work of God after something amazing that he did. I like to have a theme because when we get together and pray, one person's over here and I'm coming in with a repentant heart and I'm ready to cry when it's my turn and repent and repent. And this guy is praising God for the goodness. And I'm like, ah, I missed my chance because now I'm jumping in the wrong place. And someone over here is thanking and someone over here is mourning. And someone over here is praying for the Middle East. Someone over here is praying for his, his, his stubbed toe or whatever it may be. And we're all in different corners. Of course that prayer is going to be boring. Of course that prayer is going to be meaningless because it's not one heart. They got together, Acts 2 in the middle one. They said, Jesus told us to stay here and pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So they prayed. And what happened? And the Holy Spirit blew them up. They would pray. For example, we'll see some examples. At times where people would pray. They would pray for this person who was sick or this person who had died and needed to come back. They would pray for one heart, one purpose, one accord. And God did amazing miracles in that time. With that said, the importance of the one accord explains something which maybe you've heard me refer to. If you have attended the Liturgy of the Eucharist, you've heard me refer to it. All right, or maybe you just heard of it from wherever, which is, and no one's going to get offended by what I'm saying. I hope, I hope everybody appreciates that I try to be honest. Okay, and I know sometimes, like, I don't say the politically correct thing. I say the honest thing out of love. Why can't we all have communion together? Right? We can't all have communion together. And if you're visiting us and you attend the liturgy of the Eucharist, maybe you even celebrate the Lord's Supper in your own church. And you come here and you hear me say that you have to be baptized in the Orthodox Church in order to participate in communion. You say, hey, wait a minute. You believe in the Last Supper, I believe in the Last Supper. And you did, like, how come we can't all be united together around the table of the Lord? Don't be offended. I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm trying to explain. The truth is that our communion, as I talked about last week, is not just a union with God. It is a union with one another. That's the whole point of one body. So when we connect, if you take communion here and you unite with Christ and you unite with Christ, then you are united by default, right? So if each one unites here, like Christ is the unifying agent that unites, we unite to him, and by default, we then unite to one another. By definition, I should say, not by default. Therefore, I don't tell people that you can't take communion. I don't say that expression. I never say you can't. I say we are not in communion. Because the very fact that you and I believe different things, we're not praying the same things, we don't have communion, and the act of participating in communion is not what makes us united. It's a sign of our unity. It's not what makes us united. Does that make sense? What I mean by that is when we have one prayer and one belief and one faith, then we are in communion and we symbolize that or we, we manifest that, we act that out through our participating in the body and blood of Christ. But if we don't have the same faith and we don't, can't share in the same prayer, then we're not in communion. Even if that doesn't mean we can't pray together, doesn't mean we can't love each other, but that means that we can't have the fullness of communion together. Now you sit there and say, no, but I believe everything you believe. Okay, and I say, if that's the case, okay, let's, let's do it then. Then let's go all the way in and let's make that, out, that inside belief and outwardly manifested in, in, by joining the church. But the point is, is if I cannot say, we, many times in our liturgical prayers, we say, we believe, we believe, we believe. The priest will say something and we respond, we believe. And if we are not all believing the same thing and praying the same thing and have one faith and one prayer, then we're not in communion together. 
again, with that said, I'm not saying we can't be friends. I'm not saying we can't pray together, share the word of God together. What I'm saying is, is the difference between you and I as friends and me and my wife as one body. There's a difference. So we can all be friends with each other, but we are not united in the way that a husband and a wife are united. So it's the same thing, that we, as, a, as, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, yes, all right, we are united in that way, but our communion, the power, comes from our unity of faith and unity of prayer. That's what is liturgy, communal response to God. Second question, why liturgy? Why do we need liturgy? Why do we have to do it? What's so valuable about it? I'm going to go through three quick reasons, and I'll run through them pretty quickly here, of the value of liturgy. Number one, I'll tell you this, liturgy gets results. People praying together gets results. We're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 12. And the book of Acts, chapter 12, is a critical time in the history of the church because it was the first time the church faced major persecution, especially to its leadership. All right, there had been some persecution kind of with the people down there. But in Acts, chapter 12, is when Peter, who is like one of the heads, and James, who's also one of the heads of the early church, are taken into prison. And James is killed in prison by Herod. And Peter, his turn is next. He's awaiting, awaiting death in prison. That's where we pick up the story in Acts 12, verse 5. It says, Peter was kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now behold, look at the results of that. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Peter in prison. Do you think Peter was praying in prison? Absolutely he was praying. Do you think that each of these believers in the church was praying in their own individual prayers for Peter? Of course. He's their head. I would hope if the guy, the head, goes to prison that everybody's on board. I hope everybody's praying. His prayers didn't do it. Individual prayers didn't do it to the believers. But when they got together and constant prayer was offered to him, the chains fell off, the doors were opened, a great miracle took place. Why? Because a candle is great. But a blowtorch, that's what you need when you need results. I believe in this so much. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19. I believe in this so much. Again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. I believe in this so much that so many times when I find myself weak, pr my prayer life weak, I tell a group of people, uh, we need to have a prayer meeting for something for the church. Why? We need, and we need to have, you know why? I, because I need it. Not because they need it, because I need it. Because I believe, and many times I say this in my prayer, I say, God, you don't want to do this for me. I totally understand. I don't deserve it. But God, for the sake of all these people here, you're going to answer. And I believe that. I believe that many times I'll stand in front of God, and I, don't, I, I can't stand in front of God and ask for anything. But when God sees all these people asking, it's like when one kid comes to you and asks, we want to stay up late and watch the movie. Back to bed. But when they all come, and they're going to revolt on you. God can ignore my prayers, but he cannot ignore the prayers when they're offered together in a liturgical sense, in a communal sense. It gets results. Number two, why liturgy? Because it brings joy. 
Liturgy brings joy. And if you've ever been in this situation, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We had this just a couple weeks ago for those who were at uh, the Momentum Conference, which we did in Pennsylvania. Those who were there, I'm telling you, there was a time we were up there together and we were singing and the lights and the band was up there and we were praying and I didn't want it to end and nobody wanted to end. And we were singing this song, we sang it last week, that uh, from the rooftops I proclaim, I shout out your name from the rooftops I proclaim. And man, I'm just shouting the rooftop, we're shouting, we're screaming. And there wasn't a person who wanted to leave that because there's something joyful and powerful about a group together. Like I could sit in my room, or I should say in my shower more accurately, I can sing the top, but it's not the same. As when a group of people together, united together in prayer, it brings joy that you can't get on your own. Also in a church sense, like for example, when, when you're one of the, that we're approaching very soon the, the, the season of Holy Week, all right, which is that sacred time where the churches are packed and people all come to church, people haven't gone to church for years, and we're singing, we sing the, the hymn, of the, the hymn from the book of Revelation, Thine is the Power. And we sing that a bazillion times. And we sing it at the end. And, ah, it is. and we go and belting it out. And you can't hear yourself. You can't hear, and that's, man, that feeling, you can't get that on your own. But when you're together, united in prayer, Psalm 100. It's a commandment. It says, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. What I have discovered, like I said, I prove this every morning in the shower, is that it's really hard to do this by yourself. It's much more difficult to make a joyful shout to the Lord by yourself. You can do it, but there's something powerful about when we do it all together. Think about the difference between singing together. Think about the difference between singing alone versus singing with another person versus singing with another 10 people. There's another 100 people. There's another 500 people. There's power, and there's something special when it's done together in unity. And that gets us to the, the last one of why liturgy. Because liturgy prepares us for heaven. Because when you get to heaven, I don't know what your picture of heaven is, but if you are picturing it, you're going to be in heaven in your little, own little corner, and just with your own little Bible and your uh, sermon that you listen to, like if that's what you think of heaven, and your little journal, that ain't heaven. Because anyone who has ever gotten a vision of heaven or a picture of heaven or written about heaven talks about thousands of thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. And we pick that up here in Revelation chapter 5. John the Beloved saw a vision of heaven. He said, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. That means literally too much to number, okay, but just an expression, ten thousand times ten thousand saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Heavenly worship is liturgical worship in the sense that it is corporate or communal. And that's not to say that each one of us won't have a very strong connection in an individual way with God, but it says that the true heavenly worship will be when all those individual parts come together in one united way. Now, last question we need to answer is how. Let's be honest. How can we make liturgical worship? And again, I'm applying liturgical worship to when any time two or three gather together to do anything. Whether, like I said, that's, that's your prayer at the end of your life group. That's a group of believers who are together, share the word of God. That's us before the well when we sing together, at the end of the well when we pray together. That's also the divine liturgy, the Eucharist. How can we make it truly transformational? 
Like, how can it truly, like, what do I need to do to get this power? Because for most of us, there's a disconnect between what we read and hear about liturgical prayer and what we experience. And there's a disconnect. This is what you say it is. This is what my experience is. What's the key to take me from where I am to where you say it can be? I think, whether it's singing songs, whether it's a prayer meeting, whether it's a life group, whether it's a group of friends for a birthday party, want to be in God's presence, whether it's the liturgy of the Eucharist, whatever it is, the number one factor that will contribute to you experiencing power in liturgical worship is active participation. Simple. Not just participation, active participation. It means not just showing up like you're showing up to a movie, not just showing up as a consumer where I'm coming to sit in a chair, someone liturgy me and take me to heaven. Someone do a bunch of stuff that just automatically makes me be in the front of God's presence. That's not how it works. There's no such thing as consumers in liturgy. Liturgy is all about people coming together and doing their part to lift the whole group up to heaven. Think about it this way. Think about it, I go to Wall Street. Say I got $100 in my pocket. And I say, you know what? I want to be a millionaire. I've read stories about people who came with $100 in their pocket. They invested it wisely. Millionaires. Here's my $100. I just showed up out of the blue. It says Wall Street. Well, I'm going to invest my $100, and I'm going to find myself a millionaire. What's the likelihood I find myself a millionaire if that's all I do? I just showed up. I just saw Wall Street. The people who made themselves millionaires are people who put a little, a little effort into it, a little preparation. Little research. Did their homework. You didn't just show up and the first guy who says, I'll take it. Like, that's not how it works. But that's what we do with liturgy. That's what we do with liturgy. We just show up at whatever time we show up and we just, our mind is everywhere and we just expect everybody else to give me a powerful experience. And you're never going to find a powerful experience. Imagine somebody going back in the gold rush, all right, when they're gold inside the mountains and just showed up on the mountain and say, I'm here on, on the mountain. Where's the gold? They're not going to find gold. Who's going to find gold? Well, it comes with a hat, with a little light, with the pickaxe, with the bucket, and he's digging, and he's getting dirty, and he's getting his fingers dirty, and he's scraping himself up, and he's going inside the mountain. And that one, who did the research and did the metal detector, whatever it may be, like that's the guy who's going to find the gold. How many of us show up and just expect gold to hit us in the face? I promise you. I promise you, there's gold in liturgical prayers. I promise you, you have my word on it. And that's talking about, again, that's talking about any time a group of believers gathers together. There's gold. The question is not, is it there? The question is, will you find it? Because many people will come to this mountain. And many people will walk away from the mountain and say, I found nothing. But other people will find gold inside. We'll find the presence of God inside. We'll find where two or three are gathered in my name. I'll be there in their midst. That if any two of you agree on earth or anything, I will do it for them. And especially for us, here in the Orthodox Church, the pinnacle of liturgical worship is the liturgy of the Eucharist. Everything I said applies to all lit like liturgy, like I said, all forms. But especially now I want to talk about the pinnacle of it which is the liturgy of the Eucharist. One of our core values here at STSA is transformational communal worship, which says this. It says that we gather to be transformed power 
We gather to be transformed by the real presence of God in our midst every time we meet. Liturgical prayer is not just a routine. It is life-giving, and it is real. It is the center of our life as a family. What is the liturgy of the Eucharist? Okay, which again, we just usually say the liturgy. But what, what is the Eucharist? What is the Eucharist to the church? Michael Jordan. Is Michael Jordan when he has a basketball in his hand and he's going, <laughs> Tiger Woods is Tiger Woods with a golf club in his hand. Like you can meet Tiger Woods in many aspects, but the true Tiger Woods, when he's at his, like who he is, he got a golf club in his hand. Roger Clemens throwing that fastball over the plate. The church does many events, many activities, many things going on. Those are all great. But the church, the truest church, like the true church, strip everything away. Who is the church? The church is the Eucharist. And the church is we gather around the table of the Lord. And at the table of the Lord, which, by the way, takes place here every Sunday from 9 to 11, before the well, every Sunday from 9 to 11, right here. That table, Lord, which you see, my point in telling you that is, it's not the table that's special. It's not the stage that's special. It's not the room that's special. It's the same place that we're right now having coffee. But every Sunday, we gather around this table right here, and God meets us right here. God meets us right here. And then God invites us to come and partake of it. And we believe that when we come with that one, not just we show up, not just we show up and the goal, not just show up, but when we prepare and we invest and we participate actively, not like moviegoers, but like gold mine diggers, that we will receive the true and real body and blood of Christ himself. How? Don't ask me how. But I know when I come here, well, I know when I come, I know that my electrical outlet will be full of power. One of the early Christian fathers, St. John Chrysostom, says this about the Eucharist. He says, the Eucharist is a fire that inflames us. That, speaking about us, like lions, breathing fire, we return from the altar being made terrible to the devil. Terrible meaning like terrifying. He says that we come to this altar and there's fire on this altar. And the fire comes inside of us and then we leave like people to set the world on fire. I love that impression, that, 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 that analogy. That we come to be lit up and then go light some other stuff up. That we come empty, we come empty. We come with whatever it is that we come with, that we all come to this table, and he lights us on fire. And then from there, we go, and, ah, light stuff, light people, light communities with the same fire that we receive. Not because we, not because we are anything. Like, who are we? We're nothing. But when we come and receive fire, we breathe fire. My hope and my prayer for today my hope and my prayer for today is that each one of us would take an honest look at our liturgical life. And again, I'm not just talking about the Eucharist, but I'm talking about the Eucharist as the pinnacle, but really this entire life. We said last week that we are to live together, share life together. Well, part of that life sharing has to be to pray together. And I'm talking about, like I said, when we're in life group, that we take an honest look at the way we pray together. And when we are gathering together for dinner with a group of friends who all worship God and all want God in our midst, that we would use that time to not just laugh and joke together, but to lift our hearts together to God, knowing that when two or three gather in my presence, I am there in their midst. 
that we would take an honest look at our life in a liturgical sense and see where am I and take ownership of where I am. If I come to liturgy, the liturgy of the Eucharist, and I don't experience the power of God, it's my fault. I look in the mirror and I say, I need to do a better job. And, and what I will say with the, the liturgy of the Eucharist is the three R's. Three R's that you need to do to, 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 to receive. It's read, repent, and rest. That you come on Sunday morning, you've read the readings for the day, so you not just show up, not know what's going on. You repent because you cannot come into the presence of God with a true, without a true spirit of repentance. And everyone comes, you may not like confess every Sunday before you come, but you repent every Sunday before you come and then rest. You go to bed early on Saturday night. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can ever do is go to sleep. And I truly believe that, that we don't come on Sunday morning tired. We come on Sunday morning rested, ready to invest everything that we got. If I'm in a prayer meeting and I'm unengaged in that prayer meeting, I don't say to myself, this person prays too long. Or, this song was not good. Or I wish this, the, we don't do that. We take ownership, and we say the reason I am not in the presence of God right now is because I am not one unity and one accord and one heart with the rest of the people right here. It's my fault. It's because I never pray at home, and I just magically showed up at a prayer meeting assuming that everything would be totally fine. I never invest in prayer at home. It is my fault. My hope, when we gather together here at the well, and we stand up together to sing. To me, singing songs is the same as prayer. It's actually better. I can pray. For maybe a minute. But when we sing a song, we can pray for 10 minutes. Five minutes per song, two songs, okay? We can spend more time in prayer. That's all songs are. They're prayers. That's, that's what we praise God with our voices, with our, in, like anything we can to praise God. I hope when we gather there and we're singing, we're not just, but we're singing and we're joyful and we're praising God and it's a prayer to God. And if that's not what you're feeling, don't look at the people up here on stage. Don't look at the people around. Look inside yourself and say there's something wrong in here. Always easier to find excuses versus take ownership myself. Last verse I'll leave you all with. This is my prayer. This is my prayer for us. Like, I would love to see this verse fulfilled in us. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. It says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. Again, it never said any individual ever prayed and the house was shaken. But when they gathered together, the house was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. If you want to encompass everything that God desires for our prayer life as a body, again, there's an individual prayer life, which I'm not talking about today. I'm not saying it's not important, but I'm not talking about it. Everything God wants for our prayer life together as a body, it's in these two verses right here. They assembled together. They were one heart, one soul. The place was shaken. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went out and lit the world on fire by speaking the word of God with boldness. Can this be us? Like, can this be us? Like, this, I may say, yes, this can be us, but it makes no difference what I say. I mean, it makes a difference for me. Like, I'm one piece of the body. But I'm asking you, can this be us? Can when we stand to pray, this be us? Can when we gather on Sunday mornings that the neighbors next door feel a rumbling? Can when we finish here on Sundays, right now, whatever time, 12.45. Can when we finish, by 1.45, there's fires out there in Arlington. That the people in Puerto Rico say, something happened in here. <laughs> can we light this place on fire? I believe we can. And I believe God wants us to. But I hope you believe it as well. Because without you, 
It can't happen. Let's stand together for a prayer now. <clears throat> In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you from the depth of our heart that you gave to us this great promise, and you gave us your body to fulfill everything that you want to do in this world, Lord. Thank you that you gave us this promise that you are here in our midst now, and you are here anytime we gather in your name. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to, to make take advantage of that and, and, and not take it in a passive way of expecting you to come bite us on the nose with your presence, but that we would be faithful and diligent to invest in our liturgical life and our prayer life together as a body. And I pray, Lord, you would shake the walls. I pray you would shake the, our communities, that you'd shake our families, that you'd fill our homes, our friendships, fill our life groups, fill them with your power, Lord, as you filled the apostles in the early church and you shook the world through them and you turned the world upside down. I pray, Lord, you would do the same thing here with us in this body here. I pray these things in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. Um, again, if you need parking passes.